0: Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Snipers, Holy. And we have an interview for you today. Somebody popped into town and popped into the house. A little not quite unexpected, but a little bit unexpected. So I want you all to welcome Joel Wise back to the podcast from the Precision Rifle Network. Hey, Joel, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, guys, how you doing? Thanks, Frank. Thanks for having me. appreciate
0: it. Yeah, welcome to the house, man. You stopped in and, and we're able to do it here on the yeah. computer and not have to like phone calls, remotes and... Yeah. All that other kind of crazy. This is
1: great. I'm going to give everybody all the details they want about your personal life and they, your house. There you go. <laughs> all the layout, yeah, like yeah. what's in here, like how it looks. I'm going to give them all that because everybody wonders.
0: I remember I decorated it all myself. Propaganda on the wall, the furniture, all me. So make okay. sure you give me props from for my... Um, home decorating
1: it actually looks really good and and he's got candles burning it smells
0: nice (laughs) (laughs) I do yeah Yeah. you know what I I'm a a little bit of a clean freak man I kind of like I'm always picking up and I hate that you know that I came into the house and I didn't you know I'm just leasing the but it's got these off-white rugs which drive me crazy because how do you keep off-white, clean when you go to the range? Exactly. Never. You know, you, your wives know out there, all the women listening, I feel your pain trying to keep shit clean. And that's most of my day is running around cleaning up after myself because I'm the pig in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Men are pigs. Yeah. So um, there, so you were just down with my buddy Brian Whalen at the JP Ranch in Logan. So yeah, you're doing a little bit of... um. I guess you were getting acclimatized to the Out West competition style.
1: Yeah, it was a... Um, I, I can't remember the exact name, but it was basically a train-up course <clears throat> to prepare you to do NRL Hunter style matches and competition dynamics field matches.
0: So the field matches out here.
1: Yes, yep, yeah.
0: And, and um, I'm not a... I mean, I'm not 100% up on the rules of the format for NRL Hunter, but I know for the CD matches... It's really simplistic. So one, there's next to no rules because the terrain and the way the match is run kind of limits you and is your rule. So what happens is you get a step off time. You only see in the morning. So if you just showed up in the morning and you didn't do anything prior and said, hey, today's my day, I'm going to show up and do the match, you show up at a start time. So what they'll do at like the um, Logan that you're at, you meet in the parking lot. And they send you on, like, three cardinal directions. They, um, you know, so they basically send you three different ways, three different teams, and somebody's probably in front of you. You go make about a mile walk, and then you come to your first uh, stage, and they're blind. So you would have saw where they had the blind stages. Mm-hmm. And then from there, your, your RO, which is the team in front of you, calls you up. So as soon as they call you up, you, you walk up, you, your pack's on, your... Uh, Tripods in your hand, your rifle, and everything has to be off the ground. And they'll just say, hey, here you are. This stage is a one by, meaning there's one shooting position with six targets. Here's the pin, and the pin is what you stand over and have to touch. You have to be around the pin. And then from the pin in front of you, you have a left and right limit. The left and right limit tells you where to find the target, and you got to look for them. Then once you start finding them, you're, if you're in a team match, the shooter starts uh, shooting or the spotter starts shooting, and then the the precision rifle guy will come in after three are hit. But it's find it, range it, engage it, and you have to point it out to the RO because there's six targets out there, and the RO needs to know which one you're shooting. So there is a communication element to it. Now, I know the hunters very similar in oh, uh, five-minute part-time. So you have a fight, and, and so the hunter, similar, deploy on the clock, find the target, range the target, shoot the target, move on to next target. Yeah. is pretty much it.
1: Yeah, and I think the, the main difference there, I don't know about the main difference, because I haven't done either of these types of matches yet, hence the course. I just wanted to, you know, acclimate myself to the type of course I'll, I'll be, uh, or the type of match I'll be shooting. <clears throat> uh, Brian was saying that, um you know the NRL hunter gives you about four minutes, I think, for your power time, and if you you can take a shot at a target, and if you miss it, you get to then you know re-engage for right. lesser points. Whereas the competition dynamic stuff is, you know, if you you got one shot,
0: yeah, hit re- or miss. Re- the gasser is re- yeah. the only guy who could shoot multiple, mm-hmm. and then the question becomes because you have a guy usually with a gas gun um if you're doing the team matches the question becomes do you leave your bolt gunner enough time cuz i mean you can dump mags as the gas gun guy to shoot your three targets but then what happens when you give your guy 1 minute right and now he's got to shoot all six with one round and you didn't give him enough time so there there there's almost a self sort of um a throttle in there even working with together, but absolutely, it's one shot, make it or break it. And that makes the people out here pretty good shooters. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was I was surprised. Um,
1: so, Brian, after the first day, first day was kind of, you know, introductions and safety briefing and let's go over to the square range and get zeroed up. Mm-hmm. Then we went over the known distance range and, and trued up data and things like that. Day two and three were all spent on, you know, quote, unquote, the rim there's kind of the defining feature it's like a canyon that runs down you know in between the just down the middle of the property I guess for people who haven't been there Um, and it's really kind of beautiful but we spent both of the second days out there Brian was just running us through various stages Mm -hmm. and then just coaching us you know after we came off the stage and so I got my baseline set um, at a solid zero impacts on the very first stage that he put me on. Nice. Because, I mean, I just, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I've never done this kind of thing. I didn't know how to carry my gear up to the line or where to set it or, you know, I didn't really understand how to properly glass and find targets and just Yeah, because the, the you know.
0: one, they don't paint them. Uh, so yeah. basically, they're, they're Austin Angus targets, AA targets, and they're a rebar frame. Then the rebar frame has a black, um, like a band, a strap on it, a rubber strap that's like a conveyor belt strap, but a black rubber one. And then the plate. And the plates are almost all diamonds. There's a couple rectangles that are small. Usually if they're rectangles rectangle, they're tiny. Anything over six inches is usually a diamond. And diamonds are tough. Well, they don't paint anything. So what you're looking for is you're looking for the black strap. absolutely, And then you got to try to find the pattern in which they're laying them out. So like to speed yourself along, you'll find like the first and second target. And then you sort of look at where they're going and you're like, ah, which way are they going? And then you'll be able to tell, are they, are they kind of just angling off this way? Are they lazy W over here? Are they down below you? Cause there's a few that you have to be up high and see down below. And then, um, God, what is that? There's a, another, and then there's a couple that are hidden that are right in front of the bushes and you, and you don't find. So it's, it's a, it it's, it's a combination of skills. Absolutely. Yeah. And I got better as we went along, uh, thankfully, uh,
1: cause after that first, uh, first thing, you know, after you, if you're in the PRS bubble and I've, I've never been, you know, a high level competitor in the PRS, I've, I've mostly done, Uh, club matches and things like that. And I'm fine if I finish in the top 20%. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have like this kind of personal standard of how well I think I should do. So to come out there and on... I mean these targets these initial targets I think there were 300 something yards 400 something yards and 500 something yards. Yeah. And to just get a zero on that even though the targets were pretty big <laughs> I was like, "Oh my gosh, what did I just get myself
0: into, you know?" <laughs> and not many targets in their in their matches go past 750. They might be one or two, but most targets are inside 800.
1: Yeah, everything that we did during this class was less than 600 yards. There you go. Um, Every single one. And, you know, Brian was saying that he's had, uh, quote-unquote, pro shooters come in and take classes from him and uh, or try, you know, I guess get a hold of him and and ask about the class. It's like, what am I really going to learn? I'm a pro-level shooter, and your targets are really close. Like, is this even going to be worth my while? And Brian's response is always like, I tell you what. If you come down here and clean this, every single target, I'll give you your course for free. Mm-hmm. And it really is a lot more challenging than you think it's going to be because of um, the winds in a canyon and over the terrain is completely different. Um, you know, most people are coming from somewhere else and maybe haven't competed in the high desert. Right. Don't understand how to look at that vegetation and, and oh, read And the there's wind. not a lot because no. you
0: guys think, you know, trees, leaves, grass, and but the thing is a lot of that stuff is in the shadow yeah. and it does and, and you might have like on on JP's ranch there there's some little pockets of scrub and some small trees and stuff not like my range which has none and they don't move because they're desert you know plants and so there there's some kind of something that's and they're usually too low Um, Because we're shooting down into them. And and so, yeah, I mean, just think about it. Like, the match last week uh, that they had in Wyoming, and it was a hunter match. And, uh, like, Chris, we were talking about, he was shooting a 385-yard target and held almost two mils of wind. You know, I I did the class this past weekend, and the wind hold for the guys when we were doing the positional and we transitioned out to long range The wind hold at three hundred was one point two, because we got twenty four mile an hour winds. Yeah, and so yeah, that that equalizes things quite a bit.
1: It really does, and the winds are you know are switchy. Um, You know, one day we had we had an eighteen or no, what it was? It was an eight to an Mm eighteen mile per hour switching wind. It was just it was inconsistent. You know, like a sixteen mile per hour wind full value that's constantly a 16 mile per hour full value wind is super easy to figure out. But when it's switching all over the place, that's a little difficult. And then when you can't read the terrain, so like, right, you know, yesterday, one of the, one of the, even after I got acclimatized the area and kind of reading some of the, the terrain and the, and the the bushes and things like that, I was still struggling. So there was one target A set of targets. It was a two by three on this one. So two stages or two different positions and three targets per position. And, um, I read the wind as a seven to eight mile per hour, kind of half value wind, let's call it. Um, and it was what I was seeing through the scope. I was seeing that wind in the like at the shooter location. That's what I was feeling and seeing. My Kestrel confirmed that at my location. And then as I was looking through my binoculars out towards the targets, I was seeing the mirage that was telling me that it was roughly a seven to eight mile per hour wind at an angle as well. And so I was holding for that initially, which was like you know 0.5 mils, something like that, half mil or something like that of wind. And I was missing off target. I'm mean, like, what the heck? Finally figured out that what I was feeling at the shooter and what I was seeing in Mirage was not at all truthful. I ended up holding straight up, no wind, yeah. and getting
0: the impact. So it's a liar. I mean, it's it, it, and we do. In that was something I kind of mentioned because um, we shot the match and we were shooting the Valkyrie and the two two threes. And same thing, you know, but in a, in the reverse, so Chris, and, and we do this, we kind of reverse analyze a lot of targets out here because of the wind. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at this stage and it was a long range stage and it was the one out to like 1475 and, you know, I shot mine and did all that. And then Chris gets up with a two, two, three to shoot his and, and he's crunching numbers and we're reading it at us. And it was like an eight mile an hour. And once he shoots and he shot the first, he saw the splash, he shot the second. He actually like hit the 1475, if I remember. I think he missed like everything and then hit 1475. It was, you know, one of those. And he he turns around and goes, man, I had to hit that what would be a a 16 mile an hour wind. So the call was, you know, it lies to you. And Mm -hmm. that happened, you know, I had a, uh, we talk about the head and tail winds are the worst here because every shot is different. And the Valkyrie was a point eight left wind, and the 6 Creedmore was a straight-up no wind. So I'm holding point eight and get up and go, okay, point eight, And then, you know, next guy gets up with a 6 Creedmoor, and it's like, all right, you do it. And it was straight up. So you could be so wildly different with just that wind call that people don't realize that it's just, it is, it is a big time liar.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was a different experience for me. Cause I, you know, I rarely get outside of Missouri for matches mm-hmm. or the Midwest. Anyway, I go up to Iowa sometimes cause that's fairly close. Um, but you know, it, it just, it really in Missouri, we rarely get above a 10 mile per hour wind at any of the, the matches that we go to. Mm-hmm. And it's generally fairly consistent from one direction. And so if you figure that out, it's really not all that much difficult, you know? And so for me personally, you know, in my method of, of doping the wind and figuring out the wind, it's not my method, but the way that I've learned to do it, I guess, um, I've become pretty accurate at it mm-hmm. up to say 12 to 15 mile per hour wind. And above that, it really falls apart for me.
0: Yeah. And yeah. then,
1: and then I come out here, high desert terrain. I like the stuff at JP at the, at the ranch. Um, I had no idea how to read it. Yeah, I just I was having a really hard time looking at that vegetation and um, making a connection between the types of vegetation that I normally read right in Missouri, and um, yeah, it was a new experience for me. It really was in a good way. I mean, I learned a lot, and I think I've got some things
0: to work on for sure. But no, uh, that's I mean, that's the whole thing. Is is as people start to creep out west a little bit? I mean, you're you're seeing the the. the the venues and the terrain and people are like, well, you know, they, they're they a little tired of the contrived. They're tired that's of doing the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, we get it. it, 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 it people are happy. They, they got no drama doing that. I mean, it, if that's the match you have in your backyard, that's the match you're going to attend. You're going to have your friends there. You're going to enjoy it. But the shooting is really kind of like eh, it's repetitive. Where you come out here, and even if it's repetitive on paper, it's not. Because the one, like Joel's saying, you got a wind look change. Two, you probably have a terrain change, and it might be kind of cooler. And it's like, oh, shoot, this rock, it's not, it's not flat ground with a prop on it. It's like, oh, man, this hill's falling off, and I can't get my foot to stay here. And shoot, stuff keeps sliding, and, you know, I laid something down and it rolled off the other side. It, Cause I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm balancing on a point, you know, and, and where can my tripod legs go? Yeah. Y- you know, one leg's out really far, one leg's in really tight. And then the other one's where it's supposed to be. And it's not intuitive is a word, but it's not something that lends itself to walking up and going, Oh yeah, I'm just going to throw a game changer on it. Exactly. Well, yeah. And that was the thing for me. Um, Just the realization
1: that the game changer, while I had the, of course, I have the heavy one that I lugged around all weekend. I got the big old seven or eight pound, Mm -hmm. you know, heavy schmedium game changer, which is my favorite barricade bag for PRS style competitions. And, you know, if I go to a club match or a PRS match or something like that, I'm probably going to use that bag on every single stage in one way, shape or form. Right. I'm going to use that bag. Well, this class where I was shooting all these natural terrain type of stages I only the entire weekend. I only used that bag on one stage. Yeah, that it, and that tells you the difference between these types of matches. And
0: did you find you were clipping in more or and not putting a bag? Because there's that school of thought where speed wise, but it's also a gear management wise. Yes. So now if I have my tripod and I got my hands and I have to put the bag on, and I might maybe it's a two by and you're going to move locations. Well, now it's rifle tripod bag. Where if you clip in, it's just rifle and tripod, you know, so you have to determine, well, am I just clipping in or am I doing something else? You know, what, what becomes that case? And and it's weird, but
1: yeah, for me, uh, a major realization was how much I need to work on tripod. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I shoot off tripod somewhat regularly, but it's all flat ground, you know, it's all flat square range kind of stuff. Um, and what I found is, you know, what the what the game changer is to PRS matches, a good tripod is to a good field match. Yes, yeah, you know. And that was a that was a big kind of eye opener for me. And I spent quite a bit of time on some of these stages trying to to work a position build a good position to shoot them prone because it's it's possible to shoot some of them prone some of them you can't but a lot of them you can find a way to shoot it prone if you can build a proper position But Mm -hmm. like you said you know like they're kind of jerks about it sometimes like where they put the pin or the dot or whatever that you have to be within arm's reach of like they'll put it in
0: such a way that like There's no way you can like crane your body and yeah, or go over the edge because if they're back off the edge, like, you know, five, six feet, they can put a target down below your line of sight and then you have to stand up to see it. Yep. And that's usually if it's not hidden in a bush, if you can't find a target at a CD match, look tight down low. And it'll be like 180, less than 200 yards away, and it's close to the wall. It's just people aren't thinking to stand up straight and look straight down. Yeah. And that's where it might be. I think there's two or three that way um, that are hidden uh, pretty tight to the wall. And Did you see any of the alien eggs, the rocks where the lava, like the old ancient kind of – That pours out, and there's these perfectly round rocks.
1: Yeah, that was pretty neat. There were some really neat rock formations like that. I saw some of those, and then there were some other ones that that looked like um, they were kind of flat like the alien rocks or Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. But then they had like these little, uh, I don't know, like bulbs, like these arms with round knobs coming out from the side of the rocks. It was like really weird like, yeah there was like that- a
0: city or something there or i don't know what it was but it, there was something there and, and, and it, it's probably volcanic because there is yeah. a volcano not far but um yeah the lava formations created these really cool rocks but i call them aliens and shit because there was an ancient civilization that was under that blue steel ranch over there i, <laughs> I it doesn't surprise me in the, in the least it was pretty cool yeah yeah there's cool rock formations and stuff but i mean There is, I mean, you know, we talk about this stuff a lot, but there is sort of a mindset difference as you come out West and you're seeing what I perceive as bigger changes in format, um, more accommodating, like as an example, they're doing divisions for prizes, you know? So where do you score? That's your prize table and that's a smart way of doing things. And, you know, just the different things and, and I know they're tracking scores and trends too, and with not just the scores, you're getting hit percentages. You're getting a lot of um, data that will allow you to look at your 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 uh, your I guess your standings as the word I'm struggling for. But you can look at your standings through like the Waco people and be able to say, oh, okay, I shot this match, this match, and this match in the Wyco region and you know my percentage is here and i'm doing this and doing that and it's not just you know i came in 13th it's I came in 13th and there's all this other data where i stand with everybody around me and that's good that they're providing a little extra Mm -hmm. so
1: yeah if i if i came away with uh with just a couple of of real nuggets, like really good pieces of of information from this class, and there was a bunch, and we just don't have time. Well, to cover I, mean, them. I was gonna
0: say, did you have Reinhardt
1: there with you? No, he wasn't there. I oh, act- bummer, man. Yeah. I actually called him ahead of time. I was like, hey, man, are you gonna be helping out with this class? And he's like, no. So uh, yeah, it was a bummer. I didn't get to hang out with Andy. Uh, but um, so I think the two things would be just gear management mm-hmm. like what gear I actually needed because I took like everything because I didn't know what I would need as you would you know and at the end of the at the end of the day what I kind of realized is I really could do this with a laser like binoculars with a laser range fighter built in which if you want to cover it I actually have had this sig 10ks that I've been using for mm-hmm. about three weeks now. Yeah, we could jump. We've got plenty I, of time for that. And I took them out to Blue Steel. And so I've got some thoughts on those. Um, but um, if, you had, if you had something like that and you had your, your data in some way, you know, your Kestrel or an arm board, I recommend something like hard data cards on an arm board. And then a good tripod, you could do everything you needed to do. In these field matches, with just those pieces of gear, pretty much the
0: binos for sure, because you're looking and scanning. You want that over a spotter, or even over a monocular laser. You know, those five yeah. X and seven X monocular lasers make it really hard. So you, you want an eight to ten X laser binocular, um something in there, so you can scan and find. You got to practice your search patterns, near and far, and recognize where the laser hits. Did they do anything, um, dope management like this, the, um, the turret yard line that Ted was doing
1: a little bit. Oh. So,
0: um,
1: Brian didn't cover it or teach it, but mm. he mentioned it. Okay. Just saying, this is an option. Yep. It's out there. Be aware of it. It could be beneficial to you as far as like doing things, uh, on the fly faster. So he did mention it.
0: Cool. And, and like, just to cut, cause I want to jump into the SIG stuff and talk the binos in a minute, but. As an example, I know the SIG kit for the Sniper's Hide Cup, which will be coming up next month in Colville, um, part of the Rifleman's Team Challenge, RTC, up in Washington State. We're a find-it, range-it, engage-it type of match as well. It's just a different field and woods, and it's not the desert. Well, those guys use the SIGs with the yard line because they're giving the other guy. Because my match, you can either be a team or an individual. Who walks up doesn't matter. If you walk up as a team, the time is just cut down, or or as an individual, it the time is cut in half. And if you walk up as a team, you operate as a team, and it's no big deal. But when they feed each other data, they're usually feeding either the dope to somebody or like instead of saying, "Hey, that target target one is three hundred in something yards." with your dope of .9. Okay, target two is 400 in this yards with 2.1. Target three, so with the SIGs, they just go .9, 2.2, 3.3, and they write that, and then the guy just basically says, target one, you're holding .9. Target two, you're holding 2.2. Target three, you're holding 3.3. And they kind of cut the yard lines out, uh, so they're saving time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and if yeah, if you want to transition into SIGs, we can do that. So, just for the listeners, so I have been using this the Swarovski uh, SLC fifteen Xs mm-hmm. for years now, and the Terrapin X for my for my rangefinder, and it, it's great glass. Like you just can't beat the glass in those binoculars. The field of view, like the ability to spot trace, like you know, they're yeah, they're, they're gorgeous. Ma- they're amazing. They're they're top of the line. Well, it's not the right tool for this job of these field matches. It's too much power. I mean, fifteen X. Yeah, uh, it's really it's too much. And I'm really glad that I, that I went ahead and bought the SIGs, which I actually got um a, kind of a new, unopened box from off the hide. There was a guy selling a, a brand new pair, and so I bought those um, about three weeks ago, I guess. And I've been playing around with them. Um, I actually first saw them at a 22 long rifle match down at Altus in Florida. A guy down there had a had like a a demo pair and he was showing them to me and the elephant in the room on these things is the blue tint like apparently there's coatings on the lenses that when you look through them everything looks blue tinted mm-hmm. like
0: you're looking through supposed to pull animals and stuff out i think so yeah. you
1: know and um like some and it, the the problem is is that um it's not consistent you know it's not the exact same level of blue tint from binocular pair to binocular oh, pair. Oh, gotcha. So some guys, like the one that I saw down in Florida, the blue tint was very, very noticeable. Mm-hmm. Um, almost to the point where I was like, ooh, I don't know. If these, if this is what it's going to be like, I'm not sure I want that. Because mm-hmm. I was comparing them to the Suaros, and I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, but, yeah, that's tough. <laughs> but um, it, uh, it's really not that bad in my pair. You know, I look through them, and I've been posting pictures on my Instagram, and um, of the the blue tint and just some videos and just some pictures with my cell phone through there and for at least the pair that i got it's really not that bad it's not that noticeable it's there Mm -hmm. it's definitely there um but it's not that bad and there was another uh there was actually a female in our class this weekend that had a pair as well okay and hers were not bad either uh and hers were new within the last month and mine were new within the last month
0: so maybe they kind of realized we went a little heavy and knocked this back a little bit i wonder if that isn't the case Mm -hmm. yeah uh but so
1: you know for the listeners here it's if you're not familiar with these these 10 these 10ks from sig it's their newest latest greatest or whatever supposed to be good on on uh you know reflective targets to ten thousand yards Mm -hmm. or something like that and on animals to like 3,000 or 3,500 or something in that range, um, you know, without getting into too much detail. The coolest part, I think, about these is the glass is, it's good. Mm-hmm. It's not exceptional, but it's good. I mean, if, you know, if you want to compare the glass, it's like it's like the difference between, um, say, a Razer Gen 2, glass level like the the clarity the contrast you know just that kind of stuff I would put it on how was it
0: pulling some of the targets out I thought pretty well okay there you go and you were able to get a laser on them and yep yeah the laser is extremely like mine was pinpoint accurate did they change the reticle at all or is it still sort of the bigger circle you've got the choice oh nice
1: so it's got a square it's got a
0: circle it's got an x and one other one that I'm. Oh, blank, so that blanking. that's money right there. So that changed that whole dynamic.
1: Yeah, and mine is point of aim, point of impact. You know, on some of these laser, you range gotta find from, it. It's, you gotta find out where the beam is actually going. Mine is dead nuts on. Nice, that's I, a good thing yeah. to say. Yeah, I I lased a cow at something like twenty five hundred and something yards uh, with it, and it was right on the cow.
0: Like no no trouble returning that, and it's really fast. It's kind of like the Gunworks one. The Gunworks new, the BR four, the new one, is super fast, super accurate. The lasers like the reticle is tiny and pinpoint and it just nails it. Um so maybe it is a similar engine, because that one has got a great engine in the new Gunworks laser. But that's a monocular, you know? So versus yeah. the the Binos.
1: Yeah, and then you just compare it to some of the others. Like one guy had even like the Suaro 10X something or another's there that has the range finder mm-hmm. in it. Even with his, there's a couple of second delay to return. Yeah, and those are
0: like 3,800 bucks. Exactly.
1: And then, um, you know, somebody else had the Vortex. I think Brian actually has, runs the Vortex mm-hmm. and you know, those are like, painful delay right <laughs> in return you're like is it working i don't know let me hit the button again And you're waiting an additional four or five seconds or what it's not that bad you guys but i'm just yeah, saying yeah. like, it feels
0: like an eternity and well and that's just it is because i mean we're so quick we're on clocks now and i know for me like some of the slower ones i'm like hitting the button and they're like come on and it's moving you into a new mode now you know, you're either in the angle mode or you're in something because I'll do that every once. In, and then you got to sit there and wait for it to clear. And that's like three seconds. It's like, oh, uh, OK, get off, get off, get off, get off, get off, finally. <laughs> yep. You know, and, and so the speed on that refresh of the laser really does matter today. and And it sounds like SIG's doing a really great job with it.
1: I think they're good. You know, I have, I have just a couple of downsides we can, we can talk about, but for the most part, um, I'm very happy with my purchase, you know, for that around $2,000 range, um, and it's
0: a bead, the app and the yep. whole thing back in the same ecosystem that it was. And yep.
1: Yep. And, and I, I was able to true it. So my one, my one thing was like, well, I don't want to use the SIG ballistics app, their BDX app. Right. Cause I don't really like that app. Um, <clears throat> but it turned out that you know all my inputs, I could I could build a custom profile in there, mm-hmm. and as long as all those numbers matched up, it actually lined up perfectly. Not like a tenth off here or there; like it lined up dead nuts with my Kestrel. There you go. And so, yeah, it was really good. And then after truing, um, we trued it a thousand yards, which was another eye opener to me. I guess I don't want to get back on that rabbit trail, but uh, we didn't true up going one, two, three, four, five on out uh at Brian's class, we actually after zeroing, we went straight to a truing bar at a thousand yards.
0: And, and he just ran it that and just, way and, and
1: trued the BC off of that thousand yard group that we that we put out there and it was perfect the rest of the
0: time. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of doing the BC too. Just doing the muzzle velocity or that to me is not enough. I mean once you kind of get that BC tweaked for yours, it's money. And we do eight to a thousand as well or a lot of times what I'll do is cause what I notice on my range is, you know, everything moves pretty orderly to a thousand. And then when we go to that 1125, things jump outside the average. And so I'll hit that 1125 just to kind of tweak it a little bit. And it seems to kind of clean it up nice. So, yeah, and so, it's a good thing. Yeah. And so the
1: SIGs were able, you know, I was able to just, you know, build a new profile and Bluetooth that over to the to the binoculars and it lined up. Great the rest of the weekend for me. So I was really pleased with all of that. I think I think they're really good. I think the price is good for what they are. I think the glass is good. It's like it's not exceptional glass like the Swaros, but they're really pretty good. Mm-hmm. And the lasers super fast. And the connectivity is a, is a plus for me. I like technology, and so it's a plus for me. Um, but the the downsides of the technology, any technology is it's great when it works, right? Right. right. Well, so at some point. During the weekend, I just happened to—I hadn't changed anything. I hadn't synced up with my phone. My Bluetooth was actually off on my phone, um, and all of a sudden, the binos reverted back to the default profile—ballistic profile, which oh, is the, weird, which is like a three hundred eight one seventy five green. Yeah, whatever. yeah, that's weird. The thing is, is I had deleted that profile completely off the binos. I only had a six millimeter profile, huh, in the binos. But I was ranging and I'm like, what the heck? My Did your
0: phone do like an update and then the new update connect? It it seems so
1: weird. Yeah, it didn't connect. I checked. uh, That was what Brian said. He's like, dude, your phone had to have connected and sent the profile or done something. And I checked and I was like, no, the app's
0: not open. I didn't even have Bluetooth on. You almost wonder if maybe like the battery did a jump inside and then it kind of almost reset it to like default. And it's built into the BIOS to kind of... Maybe, but then you would think that the ballistic profile would, would be would, dead. Yours would, would be gone. Yeah, it would be back available. In the three hundred
1: eight, I went back through the the ballistic profiles, and it still wasn't even there. <laughs> but at the bottom of the readout, once you were hitting the range, mm-hmm. it said three hundred eight one seventy five grain. Weird. So just all of a sudden, I was it was calling for like four or five tenths more. Um,
0: you know, glitchy software <laughs> stuff, man. Yeah. And these are those things. You know what I mean? We get so anal, we get so crazy, and it's like because this. It'll happen to us, something really friggin' uncharacteristic, and it's like, where did this come from? And then we spend like three days trying to figure it out, and then find out it's like nothing, and uh, we're done, and who knows? And Yeah, that's just, I mean, managing your equipment, having presence of mind to know it, to know that's wrong. I can't shoot, I, that happened to me. You know, like I, I talked about this before when the um tear pin came out, and it had that bug in there with the uh, incline. So I ran up to the stage, I hit the uh I hit the target with my laser and when I grabbed the Kestrel and looked at it, it was a 400 and change target and it said .07 and I'm like there's no way a .07. So flipped the Kestrel behind me, pulled my arm bar up, grabbed the number off my arm bar, went on with it. But what it did is there was like a glitch if if it didn't sort of complete the handoff it put a negative 65 degree angle in your kestrel. Now they fixed that bug it happened but it was basically the the laser didn't hand off to the kestrel completely and when it left hanging it was negative 65. That's crazy. Yeah. So how do you know that? You know, it's nuts
1: yeah you can't figure that out that's, that's crazy stuff <laughs> no but it was a good class you know I, I i really feel like i i took away some good nuggets of information stuff that i'll be practicing but i tell you what i'm really tempted to to attempt these matches and only shoot off the tripod just as i think through like the speed and efficiency of moving to these different positions and how much time it takes to to like think that you can shoot prone mm-hmm. and get down in a prone position and fart around with adjusting your bipod and doing all the things only to realize you can't get that to work right. and have to switch to something else. Meanwhile, you've already spent a minute trying to figure that out. Well, if you would have just ran it kneeling off your tripod I was going to say, place.
0: kneeling, you don't even have to open it in that case. If you can see the target from kneeling... Because then you don't even have to open it. And like for me, my tripod closed is like perfect for me in a sitting or kneeling. And so if you can set that up where your tripod's right in the kneeling and then just, you know, you throw your binos up there and find your target, then throw your rifle up and nail it. You got nothing else to manage, really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm going to, I guess, bottom line, I'm definitely going to start practicing more tripod work.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah.
1: Um, it, it, it has been a tool that I have used to shoot off of, let's say 25% of the time. And I need to change that to 90 plus percent of the time I'm shooting off of a tripod.
0: About 75 is a good, that's where I'm at. I mean, I find, you know, when I'm, I'm being lazy now or something where I'll go to the tripod and I can do a lot right off the tripod. And The other thing, uh, you know, where a lot of us are talking about with the tripods out here is we're balancing our zero now with it where we're shooting prone and we're shooting a group and then we're shooting standing and we're shooting a group. And you might throw a a round or two in the kneeling. But you do that prone, you do the standing, you see if there's any variation in that particular rifle system. And for me, there is. Not everybody has as much as I do, but I notice a variation so I can go click up or down and get it in the middle and then do all my positions with it and my zero is only slightly off, you know. Nice. Yeah. And, and that, that, like when you do the craft challenge, I know you're going to see Chris and stuff. Um, if you do the craft challenge, it tends to center you up better because the craft drill is done across all those positions. So you'll see shifts in your zero if you don't balance your zero ahead of time and, and kind of put, nudge it in the middle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was one thing that Brian kind of, you know, harped on too, is just like, he, he's like, if you, why are you trying, like, if you go out and shoot off of your tripod and you consistently hit, let's say, you know, 0.2 or 0.3 or 0.4 higher than what you do when you're laying prone at the, at a, at a given distance, he's like, a lot of people that he's been hearing about are just like going, well, I just always shoot point four high on a tripod, so I'm just going to figure that into my dope. And he's, mm-hmm. he's like, no, like unscrew yourself and, and figure out what the problem is fundamentally. Right. And so that you can shoot the same from the ground as you can from your tripod.
0: And, and it usually is a small nudge and it's, you know, when it goes. And, and did he also talk about like out here, we see it a lot more of us tend to run our scopes higher.
1: No, he didn't really talk about
0: that. that We we kind of run our scopes higher because it keeps our head in in a similar position, especially with the tripod. We're not kind of playing with our chin, you know, moving where our chin falls um, by popping the scope up, you know, an extra half an inch over our over our barrels versus guys who are down at that eighth or quarter, and you know we're up half or more, and and it helps us just balance our head a little, not balance, but keep our head straight and then stay on the tripod. You know, so, uh, that is one of the things I know Andy mentions, talks about that on Facebook, uh, Reinhardt, he, he had a little thing that, Hey guys, you know, why is our scope so high? And it's like, well, we say the same thing. We do a bigger workspace with like Mark and myself. We're up higher. We want the scope up higher. Um, and it just gets us in a little bit more natural. We all try to crush ourselves up and get mushy, you know, get small and we don't need to.
1: And I have a question for you kind of on uh, something that I was just going to – it might be good for the for the listeners because um, it was new to me. So I've, I have my, my length of pull set where it always is, and I have my cheek piece set where it always is. And one thing that, um, you know, Brian was talking about uh, is that sometimes when you're working yourself into these weird positions off of a tripod – um, you're still working on your fundamentals. You're still squaring up behind a tripod in a certain way, and and all these things. But he would he'd run his cheek piece. he would he just drop
0: it, drop off, it drop down to level. So, yeah.
1: Like, what do you think about that? Like fundamentally, because our cheek all of a sudden Pe- isn't touching it. No, There's it's no, people
0: you know. are dropping it and doing that. <laughs> and and where the only place like I find where I drop the cheek and it really hurt or helps for people, like the the one thing where I'm like, hey man, if you need to do this. Like one of the first things you should do is drop the cheek is when you switch to a lefty or support side. So for guys who, if you have a cheek there and you're going to go from a right-handed shot to a left-handed shot, and you have guys that can't get the eye relief, they can't find it. They're like, fuck, I can't get my eye behind it. If you drop that cheek, usually you can get right in and find it really quick. Now there are, like I said, I run my scopes higher, so I don't think I need to drop the cheek that way on my Regular side, and I can't think of any situation where I have, but definitely I've had people drop the cheek going support side. Mm, so right on. okay. That's, that's more so where I would be. But, I mean, if you find something's in the way and you can't get it, you absolutely can move it out of the way. I mean, that that is one of those things we are seeing. And if you pull the parallax out of the scope, you should be pretty good, you know, as long as you make sure you're parallax-free. The offset you're talking about moving your cheek and not – having cheek weld is if that parallax is off and then you do that then you're probably going to shift the shot that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah, yeah. that makes a lot
1: of sense another thing uh, just kind of that popped into my head and back to the sigs just briefly that I I wanted to mention you know I heard Chris Way mention it in one of his podcasts was just that you know a way to to talk people onto target was by taking a compass bearing You know, and saying, hey, this target is actually at 225 degrees at 500 yards out there. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And we used a reference point. Like, the last CD match I shot, I shot with Adam Burt from JP. Adam's the office manager. He doesn't come out and shoot that very often. And every time I see Adam, like, socially, I'm in Minnesota doing a clash, we go out. He's dressed in nice clothes. You know, so Adam's not like a guy on the street shooting. So for what he and I did is when we came up to the stage, we found something prominent in the middle we always can move back to. So if there was a mound, if there was a cluster of trees or if there was, and there's a bunch of like really hard to explain on the podcast without standing there. But when you're out there and you're in sort of that view, there's almost something in your field of view that's prominent. Like, that mound in the middle. And then that way there, it's like, okay, from that mound, two fingers left, down four o'clock, or, you know, be seven o'clock. So two fingers left, seven o'clock. So you have that mound, you put two fingers out, you come left from seven o'clock, and then if you get confused, back to the mound.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to go. Um, The SIGs have a compass in them. Then
0: you absolutely can give people a... Myth. And so,
1: you know, the the woman in the class, like I said, that had the, the pair of SIGs as well, she was very new. She had, she had just previously, I think actually, Brian was there for a PR1 class, a PR2 class, and then the class that I took. So he was out there for like 7 to 10 days. And this woman took all three classes back to back to back. Mm-hmm. And she was a brand new shooter, but she had these SIG binos, and she was having trouble in our class spotting targets and getting on target she, mm-hmm. she would sometimes find them with her binocular but then couldn't find them with her, her rifle, rifle scope when she transitioned or back and forth and so I, I remembered what Chris said about the you know just taking an azimuth or a bearing basically and so I started just using that with her and be like hey you know I'm seeing these targets at 340 degrees look turn your SIGs to 340
0: degrees And And point the rifle at it, right? Point the
1: rifle at it, you know. And so it was really a a helpful feature, but also a really good way to talk people on target. Yeah. If if you have that ability.
0: I mean, any more information you can give somebody, absolutely. I mean, heck, we were shooting, um, like, we were talking Pawnee in in the one one stage that has the target that goes out to um, 1475. You almost do a full 180 change. So you're pointing left at the first target, and then you're coming half moon. Well, when you're going to the last target, you're pointing almost dead left now, or right rather. You're going from left to right. And so we have things on the horizon and it's like, well, okay, because there's a lot of other targets and you're looking for the right color, the right size, the right shape, but there's other targets out there too because you're spread so wide. So guys use the horizon for that. Hey, there's a tower around the horizon, under the tower on the horizon, seven o'clock. Okay, when you go over there, there's that barn in the horizon. You know, under to the barn and and get in on the barn and then go down to 5 o'clock.
1: And I do think that, you know, the CD guys, when they're setting Mm -hmm. up their matches, it's like you said, there's always a prominent thing that you can find out. Like, they're not... They can be jerks in some of the positions. Usually one or two
0: targets is jerky. (laughs) Yeah, you know,
1: like totally, you're like cursing them. Yeah, But if you look out, like they don't place, where they do place targets is usually in line with some prominent terrain feature, whether it's a a certain rock pile right, or a, a little like different color in the, you know, the rock face or something that's very noticeable. They'll tend to line that up with where the target's,
0: Start sure, sure. I mean, it's not complete, like I said, you there is a pattern. Once you can recognize the pattern, you usually chase the pattern. You once you get that second target, you know which way they're going, you can see the terrain and sort of how they would have walked because it's like, well, okay, there's a clear path for them to go, and there might be a line of bushes that they're putting targets in front of, which sucks, but they normally usually you can see it, Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a great, I mean the only like honestly the and and I think it it there's there's a benefit to it but I'm not a huge fan of it the only negative I have is the one shot per plate cuz I think a follow up shot has a value to it so if you gave them two shots per plate that says are you learning something can you make the correction can you get the hit but the one shot per plate is like you better have your fucking game on, and this is a competition. And there are absolutely those guys that go out there and clean a shitload of targets, even under some really crazy hard conditions. You know, Andy's one of them. Ways another. Uh, you know, those guys go shoot those CD matches. They do really, really well. They're humbling because yep. those guys are so good.
1: Humbling's the good word for it. Yeah, I, I'm
0: definitely feeling
1: humbled right now after this class understanding that I have a lot of a lot of work to do before well the, the I'm probably going to do one of the one day the new one day NRL Hunter matches mm-hmm. I'm probably going to do one of those this summer and then I have the is it the team safari that's in October every year Yes that's the America.
0: one I did team in October okay. So
1: I'm signed up and ready for that I'll be doing that one this fall There you go and uh so yeah this should be pretty fun should be good
0: Yeah the team ones that I did the weather's right and you know that's the other thing out here is like I shot the match last week and I wrote down notes I was going to talk about but then Joel came in but one of those things that was like nutrition and watching yourself cuz high desert the sun the how much water you're drinking you're kind of like ah, I'm okay and then you realize oh fuck I haven't pissed in like 6 hours I better do something you know and and that stuff sneaks up on you cuz I mean the sun might be there and you're a mile closer the wind's blowing, we're getting 12 to 18 mile an hour winds. So you're cool. And meanwhile, you're not doing anything and just every ounce of moisture is coming out of you. So I find for me, health-wise, drinking-wise, eating-wise, and I didn't I didn't bring anything to the Pawnee match. It's a one-day match. I was home by two o'clock. I brought two drinks with me, one I drove up with and one I planned to drive home with. You know what I mean? I had nothing else. And I, like the last stage, I kind of fell out a little bit. It was like, oh, man. Well, duh. Mm-hmm. I don't have it. So you have to, like, go there with a six-pack of water with some snacks and things. You you have to hydrate. You have to energize. You have to feed the system. And it matters out here, man. That That's kind of one of those tricks for... Being out west. Yeah, it really it really
1: does matter. I was saying to Frank when I came in, yeah, he offered me something to drink and I was like, I better have water because I'm I'm already starting to feel a little dehydrated from just about twenty four hours after after being there at the class. But I was saying to Frank that I, I realized for the three days of the class, I drank five gallons of water. Yeah. And it wasn't too much. No. Like I felt good because I drank so much water. It,
0: you have to. I mean, it really. And I'm I'm the worst offender. It sneaks up on me because I mean, I'm so used to working rifles only in the friggin' '90s and shorts and you know getting baked. But you come up here, man. You're a mile closer. The sun hits you a little bit harder. There's no moisture here. We have no humidity, so everything's just sucking that moisture right out of you. And the wind's helping. And and it just nutrition and taking care of yourself in the desert is a little different.
1: Yeah, for sure, for cool, sure.
0: Cool, cool. Well, we almost an hour there. What else you got going on, Chola? Then you're hanging out and see if maybe we got some food downstairs. We can make something. Heck yeah, some right. stuff was cooked. That'd be good either way. I, I'm good.
1: Um, if you you've seen me, I mean, I, I'm I'm not a small guy. I'm always <laughs> I'm always ready to eat something. Um, no, I was gonna ask you if you got any like new cool gear items coming. You got
0: any like what's what are you playing with right now that you like? Uh, well. I mean, I'm playing with stuff everybody else is. The Valkyrie stuff I've been talking about, so there's in that. Suppressor-wise, those KG Maids, I'm really digging on the KG Maids, and I'm playing with that as well as the Able Biscuit. The Able Biscuit is probably my favorite right now. Although, I was answering questions on the KG Maid today about the holes in the ports in them. Yeah, they do work, and you can tune that can up. So if people were asking me sort of comp-wise, I think... The K cans, the Dominus for Thunderbeast, and the Biscuit, those short, fat cans, are really working for recoil management and being uh, a little quicker, not as slow a push. You know what I mean? They're, they're acting more breakish uh, versus the suppressor that pushes slow. So I'm digging on the K stuff. I'm playing with that. Um, scope-wise, I'm really just doing the Leopold right now, the 7-35, uh, to 35. i got to knock that guy out. The Maven... I am playing with the Maven, and I'm so delayed on that. I'm, because of this, the the turret yard line and what Ted's doing, I'm finding that benefit again in the tool list with the Maven. You know, like the tool list is I can give or take. I'm I'm fine with a tool list, but I'm really not doing anything on the fly that much that I need a tool list. I can always, I mean, I almost always have an Allen somewhere. I got a fix-it stick kit. I usually have a Night Force or Vortex tool in there. And it's available, but then I'm kind of doing this this you know, dial up your 2.5. Now you can hold or dial and resetting your zero, and so it's like I'm resetting the zero. I'm shooting it and doing the yard lines, and then I'm resetting the zero back, and it's easy. You know what I mean? So it's not like one of those things where I'll do it later. But other than that, I mean, I'm not. I'm I I am. We are working on something on the training side with Chris Way, so I'm not in a product mode right now. I'm in a how are we going to help a shooter? And and Chris and I have this thing. It's going to be like Riflecraft USA. It's going to be for him. I'm coming to that. Oh yeah, the, yeah, so you know about so you've so we have this Riflecraft USA. If you've heard Chris talking about, he didn't mention me, but I'm helping him with it, and we're going to do it on my range. Basically, it's like taking a test. You're going to go out and you're going to take a test. And we're going to grade your test. And then you're going to have data that goes along with it. And it's a skills assessment. It's like a universal skills assessment. And so that's kind of where my head has been. And I'm putting pen to paper and crunching numbers and looking at what metrics we're looking at, how I'm looking at. So I've kind of... Other than the ones that are lingering, I'm backing on product. I'm backed away from product, um, and I'm doing more of this, how do I make products for the training side? You know, like great example is CR2 guys. I just mailed them, you know, refills on my um, fundamental eval sheet. You know, so we got guys using the fundamental eval sheet so they can look at a student and hit the checklist and give them a prescription, we got the weaponized math. Well, how are we using weaponized math? And that's been flushed out. It's pretty straightforward. Now we're just sort of playing with the worksheets a little bit so they flow and people understand it. And that's coming out really well. Then Ted with the turret line.
1: That guy, man.
0: Ted is amazing, man. And I told Ted, I said, dude, we got to do a booklet. We need a booklet. We need like a you know 12-page booklet that has all this stuff, that has all the worksheets, and so I'm kind of looking at that booklet. And so a lot of what I'm doing right now for me, it's 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 looking at how we're teaching, looking at how people are learning, looking at where the disconnects are in execution and understanding, and then trying to create a product for that it is kind of where my head's
1: been. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. That type of class. I mean, people listening in out there, be honest with yourselves. Like, do you really know how good of a shooter you are? Like, so (laughs) I started doing Chris Way's, you know, craft data targets not that long ago. I actually held off for a couple of years now Mm -hmm. out of fear. I'm going to be honest. I I was afraid to do it because I'm like, no, I don't want to find out that I'm like a 4MOA shooter, you know. But at some point I was like, okay, I need to swallow my pride and figure out like actually mm-hmm. how good of a shooter I am in different positions. So, so I started doing that and just really paying attention to what, you know, what that, that data can reveal to you about, you know, who you are as a shooter and your fundamentals and all those kinds of things. Um, and so when then this thing, this partnership between you and him came up to do this, you know, this, yeah, the USA. this yeah. USA thing, um, I, man, I'm all over it because... I just think there's no – I want that information. Yeah. You know, I want that data. I want somebody like you guys with your experience to look at me and evaluate me um, fairly and say, look, this is this is who you are as a shooter, Joel. Like right. now take this information and become better and do whatever. Well,
0: know, and so. it's hard to talk about in a way because we are crunching so many numbers and we're looking at trend patterns and we're just gathering data – And it's really kind of like we're doing this and trying something. And then we're taking this and trying a little different. And, oh, wait a minute. I saw a variation here. We have to think about this variation when now we have 10 people on a line and we're testing them. Okay, how will this variation affect? Where is the variations? You know, even on the wind side, what you're talking about, we're looking at where the wind changes for the calibers. So, you know, our drop has a pattern. The wind drift has a pattern. But then at some point, our bullet slows down and the pattern changes. But then you pick up a new pattern. It doesn't disappear and it doesn't go completely away. The pattern just changes. And I'm being cagey a little bit. And I've mentioned this with the Valkyrie. I've said, you know, the Valkyrie is a fucking laser beam here. Then it turns into a medium 6.5 Creed here. Then it turns into a really bad 308 with a 168 here. You know what I mean? so by visualizing things this way, we're, we're putting values to it. And we're putting locations to it. And it's going to allow us to feed someone quicker You know what I mean? Like, you only can fire hose people so much. However, if I can split that fire hose up into spoonfuls, now you can digest it better because I'm not just turning the fire hose on and blasting you in the face with it. I'm going to take a big old tablespoon, and I'm going to scoop. I'm going to shove it in your mouth, and I'm going to pull it out. You're going to digest it as I'm going back in for another scoop. And that little bit is a, different from a fire hose because now you can breathe. Yep. And that's what I'm looking to do is, I mean, it's Ted, it's Chris. It's seeing all these really smart thinkers and then boiling all these guys down and rendering them into something and and yeah, there there's there's a there's a monetary element to this, but really there's not because we're talking about it, we're telling you, we're putting it out there, and we're making it. I mean, there's so much DIY now. Everybody's out doing their own thing. Yeah, they got cameras on their phone. They could film themselves. They did this. They got access to videos. They can go and train. They can film themselves and then watch themselves compared to. I mean,
1: well, what I like about I mean, what I kind of like about it and the way that I thought about it for this class and reasoned it, it was like, if you're a hunter, if you're a big game hunter and you've been waiting years for an elk tag in a certain zone, let's say, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you draw an elk tag and it's the hunt of a lifetime or whatever it is, and you're fairly certain that it's going to be a longer distance shot and you're unsure in any way whatsoever, whether you can make that shot or not. Right and you're paying like let's say 5 to 10 grand for a guided hunt well the $1000 or whatever it is for this USA is nothing is nothing right. to to guarantee that you know your capability is 90 to 100% success rate inside of 600 yards like if you have that information now about mm-hmm. yourself and you know what distance you are actually capable of performing uh, under any conditions, at the drop of a hat, off a tripod, off a tree, off a rock, that's valuable information. It's huge, man. It's you know, huge. So.
0: And there's and there's two things, man. There's two groups out there of shooters that are big that we've always considered a punchline. Hunters and cops, right? You know what I mean? And sorry, guys. I mean, we need to say it, but you guys are punchlines. <laughs> and if we can get the hunter class to kind of see these things and to absorb them quicker... That's that much better on the, like, exactly like Joel said, you're spending 20 grand for a hunt, 10 grand for a hunt, whatever your number is, you don't wanna screw it up. And maybe that 450 yard target is the better shot, the bigger trophy than the 150 yard target. And if you have that confidence and that ability to do the 450 yard shot on command, your hunt now has, you know, your options are, uh, it's not availability, but you know what I mean? Your, your, you're, you ah, whatever the word I'm looking for is huge. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your probabilities increase. I think yeah. that's what I'm looking to yeah. say. Your probabilities, if, if, if you know, I mean, think of everybody out there hunting style. They're the 70 to 150 yard guy shooting a deer. Yep. Okay. And they miss and they do this and they frigging wound them and they got to chase them and all these things. Yep. Well, if you're, You know, if you know your max effective 600, you've just increased your probability of a great hunt, you know, 60 times. There's only like 3,000 hardcore PRSE type people, maybe. You got about 3,000 people out there doing that. You got about 30 million hunters, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so it's how you translate these things. These numbers are not what people think, you know. There's only like 360-something people who shot the three required matches to score in a PRS event in a year. Only 300 people did that, three minimum, right? But there's a ton of hunters. There's a ton of these guys going out doing that. And so it's how we present information. It's that constantly, oh, it's voodoo of it. How do, how do you shoot in the wind? Grab a case of ammo and go shoot in the wind. Guess what? You ain't going to do shit but waste your case of ammo. That's right. But if I give you a map and a compass and tell you, here's a box of ammo, use this map and compass, that box of ammo is much more valuable now. Yep. And that's what we're looking to do is we're creating these shortcuts for people. We're creating, and it's not rules of thumb. We're just playing with the math and we're looking at trends and patterns.
1: I like that. And you guys are you guys are breaking it down kind of Barney style for those of us who are not very smart, who are not TEDs of the world. Yeah. Because I'm not a Ted. I'm not at, a Ted. That guy needs to dumb things down for those <laughs> of, those regular folks like us. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of pride out there. Like people people aren't wanting to admit. Like they go to these competitions and they can smack steel out to a thousand yards in a competition. And they think that that translates to a hunting scenario off a tripod in the snow at dusk with a twenty mile per hour wind, right? And it just simply doesn't. Like yeah. you're clear, you're just not that good of a shooter. And what's it worth to you to find out how good you really are?
0: And I, I asked that question. I had a class last weekend when Mark was here, and you know we had twenty four mile an hour winds, and everybody shot, everybody got hits. And I said to the class when it was over, I said, "Let me ask you a question." How many of you would have driven to the range or got up that morning and saw 24-mile-an-hour winds? What would you have done? And everybody said, go home. Now they got hits. Now they understand the math. Now they were able to shoot a target. So if you go on your hunt of a lifetime, skunk, 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 skunk. Oh, I got one more day on my tag. Oh, wait, there's an an 18-mile-an-hour wind and there's my elk. If you have that confidence, you're going to get that shot. And we're giving you tools where you don't have to go into your phone. You don't have to. It should be off the top of your head. Wait a minute. That's a 600-yard shot. That's in my third bracket with this gun. It's a six-mile-an-hour gun. Okay, what is this? All right, I'm going to hold that 1.8. Boom, there I go. You know what I mean? So whatever that case is, you know, .6 times 3, and that's your hold, and there you go. You could do that in your head. Yep. You know, that kind of stuff. And and so, I mean, that's what I said to the, the shooters at the class. All right, we're transitioning. We got 24-mile-an-hour wind. You got a 6-mile-an-hour gun. That's in your fourth bracket. What's 4 times .3? 1.2. There's your hold. Hit. And they're hitting a 6-inch plate in a 24-mile-an-hour wind. Boom.
1: Yeah, simple, yeah,
0: and it works. Yeah, and that's what we're doing. We're just looking to do that and and give you a roadmap. We're trying to build you a map, and. In- you
1: know, it's valuable and I dig it for sure. Cool, man. Yeah,
0: that's all I got. Seth, so you got, you got nothing else happening? Where, where are you off to next?
1: Uh, Well, I, it sounds like maybe going to get together with Chris way tomorrow. And what I really would like to do is do some videos for that guy. Yeah. He, he doesn't self-admittedly. He doesn't like doing video at all. But he's got these great ideas and great concepts Um, and he's been doing some video stuff with you a little bit kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, in your
0: studio and just those sorts of things. I was actually surprised he stood in front of the camera. Yeah, we're getting
1: better. We're getting better working him into (laughs) it. We'll change him. But I really if it works out to shoot with him tomorrow, I want him to just walk me through his craft data drill um, and coach me as we go. And I'm going to put it on video so people can see like this is how you do the craft data drill on paper and this is how Joel did it, and I'm putting myself on the line because I have no idea how I'm going to shoot it. Um, you know. But hes I'd like him on video to coach me and say, you know, hey, this is what I think you did. This is what I think you could do better. I think that would help
0: people. If, if you so, find the right camera angle for him, just find wherever you go. I'm not sure where you're going to shoot it yet. I mean, it could be Green Mill, could be my range, could be anywhere. Who knows? But if you find the right camera angle, just set the camera up and hit record. He does that all the time, so he's used to it. So once you get your angle, if you just let it go and have him instruct you, he'd be no problem, man. It'd be easy. Nice. That's that's what I got going on. All righty, guys. Hey, man, great conversation. Thanks for Joel to come on out, stopping at the house and everything. I think we'll go have some chili or something. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. See Joel at the Precision Rifle Network. He's got the YouTube channel, videos all around. He does all kinds of good stuff out there. So pop in and say hi to Joel when you can and is your podcast going or Yeah,
1: a little bit. Don't listen to my podcast. <laughs> you want to listen to Frank's podcast, not
0: mine. Anyway, Joel's a good guy, man. Any anything you got to do. Thank you guys. Talk to you soon.